0: When it comes to performing Shakespeare, some people just know how to do it right. My father's spirit. In arms,
1: all is not well. I doubt some foul play. Oh, but the night will come. Till then, sit still, my soul. Foul deeds will rise. Though all the earth o'erwhelm them to men's eyes.
0: From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. The actor you just heard was, of course, the remarkable Derek Jacoby. For 75 of his 80 years on earth, give or take, Jacoby has been performing Shakespeare. And for more than 60 of those years, he's been sharing his passion and his talent with the public. We had the pleasure of sitting down for an extended conversation with Jacoby at the end of 2017. In this, the first of a two-part presentation of that interview, he talks about the Shakespearean role for which he is best known, Hamlet. Beginning at the Edinburgh Fringe in 1957, Jacoby has acted this role on stage nearly 400 times. And as you can imagine, he's devoted hours to thinking about Hamlet's words, Hamlet's motivations, and the best way to play that role. He brings us the benefit of all that thought now in what we think will be a treat for theater lovers, Shakespeare lovers, and lovers of great acting. We call this podcast. Do not saw the air
1: too much with your hands, thus.
0: Derek Jacobi is interviewed by Barbara Bogate.
2: I, I wanted to start with the voice because you, you are so known for how effortlessly it seems and how naturally you speak Shakespearean verse. And I was thinking that we we lucked out recently and had uh, the director of the San Diego Old Globe Theater on our podcast, and he gave us a masterclass in Shakespearean acting. Ooh. And he, he said, among other things, and you know, this is rather a beginner level, I guess, pound the verbs, that Shakespeare is all about the verbs. And he also did an exercise where he has the actors pause after each line and quickly inserts a question, that each line answers a question. And I wondered if there are some of these techniques that you have made your own, or if you have your own techniques to preserving spontaneity and to deliver poetry so naturally.
3: I think spontaneity is the key word. I think um, whenever you're doing any play, be it contemporary or Shakespeare indeed, you have to believe that what you are saying is uh, an expression of what you're thinking so that it is spoken thought. It's the way you phrase things. So the Shakespearean uh, dialogue comes out actually in an, a real and accessible way. Uh, and it is all to do with attitude. It's, uh, in a sense, not what you say, it's the way what you say it.
1: Let us sit upon the ground
3: and tell sad
1: stories of the death of kings. How some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court. And there the antic sits, scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath. A little scene to monarchize, be feared, and kill with looks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass, impregnable.
3: An audience often have a problem grasping the meaning of everything it is it is archaic in many respects it is poetic but i think a healthy disrespect for punctuation is essential it has been lasted 400 years and if you want to put a full stop where there wasn't a full stop or a comma where there wasn't a comma you put it there the basic word for me is attitude as long as your attitude is right the audience can from your attitude, understand. What you're saying, why you're saying it. Actors do this quite naturally in contemporary plays, quite naturally. But as soon as a lot of them uh, come to Shakespeare, they still see the page in their heads. And it's to get that page out on the stage, forget the page and put it on the stage. That, for me, for me is essential. It's not easy. And I think, uh, uh, again, a healthy disrespect for the verse as such, um, in that there is a bloom on all of Shakespeare's phrases that has a bloom of poetry which is indestructible. And humoured thus comes at the last
1: and with a little pin bores through his castle wall and... Farewell,
3: king. And I think um, if you're playing a king, for instance, uh, you must play the man inside the king. And if you're playing a man, play the king inside the man.
1: Cover your heads And mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, form and ceremonious duty. For you have but mistook me all this while. I live with bread like you. Feel want. Taste grief. Need friends. Subjected thus. How
2: can you say to me? I am a king. I want to pick up on what you were saying about punctuation, because we, we dug up at the uh, Folger an, an old interview that you did for Shakespeare Quarterly back in 1985, and you talked about exactly this that that you said you were playing Much Ado.
1: <laughs> this can be no trick. <laughs>
2: And you gave an example of how you can just change the punctuation oh, yes, and get that. a totally different meaning. And this was at the end of the, the gulling scene. Uh, that's
3: right. That's right.
2: Where Benedict comes out of hiding.
1: That's right. right.
3: And he's heard that Beatrice is in love with him.
1: The confidence was sadly born. They have the truth of this from Hero. They seem to pity the lady.
3: And uh, if I can remember correctly, he says, love me. Why, it must be requited, is the obvious way to say it. Uh, but I am cheap. I want you to laugh.
1: Love me! Why? <laughs> it must be required I hear how I
2: am sentient. They say I will bear myself... <laughs> Why did you want to laugh there, though?
3: I want to laugh all the time. It's a comedy. <laughs> I told you I'm cheap.
2: <laughs> I remember someone... Didn't someone give... Or someone... Is known, is it uh, Dame Edith Evans for, for giving the advice how to get a laugh is is just oh, always yes. read the line as if it's dirty?
3: That's right. Yes. I, I, I was there when she said it. She played my, my mother in a production uh, directed by Noel Coward of his play Hay Fever. And Edith played my mum, and that was one of the things she said.
2: Well, you also, in this interview, uh, said something very interesting about playing Prospero.
1: A thou, which art but air, the touch of feeling of their afflictions, and shall not myself one of their kind, that relish all as sharply and passion as they, be kindlier moved than thou art?
2: He found a line in Act Four where he talks about my old brain, how did first of all? How does that change your Prospero?
3: Not not do really, rather what what I think not change my Prospero. What something it was based on was the I reckoned that he was young enough to be sexually active. I put him at about forty-five because he refers to uh, is it Miranda as being a third of his life, and in the text she is fifteen. So I thought, well, I, when he says I, she's a third of my life, it, she, he either means that the trio is Prospero, Miranda, and, and Ariel, or indeed Prospero, Miranda, and Caliban. But I took it as being numerical, which actually explains a lot of his treatment of Ferdinand, which I thought maybe comes from jealousy.
1: And twixt the green sea and the azure vault set roaring war roar. To the dread rattling thunder have I given fire and rifted Jove's stout oak.
3: With his own
1: boats, the strong faced promontory have I made shake, and by the spurs plucked up the pine and cedar. Graves at my command have waked their sleepers, out. And let them forth by my so potent art.
2: Is this what you mean when you, you said in that interview that what makes playing Shakespeare so marvelous for you is detective work? Is this what you mean by detective work?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Because, you know, the fact that that we're still playing Shakespeare 400 years later and it's still alive and exciting and viable and true is because every actor who plays these parts finds something else, finds a nugget of truth for them, which really um, makes the plays live. It, it all goes back to that word. I keep using attitude. An audience immediately responds to attitude. And in, in the theatre, particularly, it can be expressed vocally, physically. And the combination of the two, I think, makes Shakespeare accessible. It must sound like spoken thought, not regurgitated verse. Spoken thought that has um, a reason that it is expressed, it has a journey to make, it asks uh, for a response. When it's mere recitation, it is the most boring thing in the theater.
2: So for you, it does come back to that kernel of meaning for you, that you follow your detective work and you follow that thread. Because there's a cliche about American actors versus British actors, which I imagine you've heard when it comes to Shakespeare that goes back to the 1950s and the creation of the Actors Studio. And this idea that uh, it's always been that American actors will explore the character first and put the language second. But British actors put the language first and put the character second. But it sounds as if everything you're saying here about you suggests that you you, you take this, this approach, this American approach, of thinking through the character first and motivation first.
3: I think it's a combination of both. I think, of course, you find your character, then... You, and How do you find your character? You, you define it really by what you say, what um, you are saying uh, indicating what you are thinking and that makes it um, real. Rather than a particular character, I think situation is important. Um, anybody can play Hamlet. It can be fat, thin, male, female, black, white, whatever. Hamlet is the big personality role in Shakespeare. Hamlet is you, how you sound, how you look, your personality, your charisma. But what makes your Hamlet identifiably different is how you react to the situations in which Hamlet finds himself.
1: Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, for and resolve itself into
3: a dew or that the everlasting
1: had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh,
3: God,
1: God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. on, ah, fie, it is an unweeded garden that grows to seed things rank,
2: and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should
1: come to
2: this. Let's talk about your Hamlet because there, there's so many people who've said that yours is one of the best performances of that role of all time. And you've said in the past that, as as, as you're saying now really, that there, there are all of these different kinds of Hamlets and they're they're political and they're emotional and they're intellectual and they're spiritual yeah. and physical. I just saw Benedict Cumberbatch in the most physical performance of Hamlet <laughs> I've ever seen. He was pouring sweat. It was like a decathlon. Yeah. Um and that an actor must just choose one area for emphasis. So when your big turn came, and I – because you've played, I think, Hamlet five times. Is that right? Like
3: yes. I all together, Many times. Altogether nearly 400 yeah. times, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, f- five different times yes, in your life. Yes, including starting with your with high school. Yes. And I think your big turn might have been in your 40s.
3: Yes, I was um, 40 when I first played Hamlet professionally.
2: Well, what – Which hamlet did you choose and why? (laughs) Um,
3: I suppose the hamlet that came out of me at the age of 40.
1: If it be, why seems it so particular with thee?
3: Seems, madam, nay it
1: is. I know not seems. Tis not alone my inky cloak, good mother, nor customary suits of solemn black, nor windy suspiration of forced breath, no, nor the fruitful river in the eye nor the dejected haven of the visage, together with all forms, moods, shapes of grief that can denote me truly. These indeed seem, for they are actions that a man might play. But I have that within, which passes show, these but the trappings and the suits of
3: woe. I tried to be true, I know that sounds a bit po-faced, but um, I just try to be true to myself, to the play, and to and to Shakespeare.
1: Frailty, thy name is woman, a little month, for ere those shoes were old with which she followed my poor father's body, like Niobe, all tears, why she, even she, oh God, a beast that one's discourse of reason would have mourned longer, married. With my uncle, my father's brother, but no more like
3: my father than I to Hercules.
2: Well, your Hamlet was very vulnerable and very much. Very vulnerable, yes.
3: It, it kind of developed over the years. It was, I mean, when I was a schoolboy, of course, I was... Tore a passion to tatters. I was very passionate and shouting and ranting all over the place.
2: I think. I think you said what you lacked in lacked in technique. You made up in volume. In
3: volume, yes. <laughs> I was very loud, <laughs> yes, um, very energetic. But as time went on, I calmed down. I became more thoughtful, more intellectual, and um, and hopefully more more interesting. Alas, poor Yolick. I knew him,
1: Mauricio. fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times. And now how abhorred in my imagination it is. My gorge rises at it. Here hung those lips that I have kissed, I know not how oft. Where be your jibes now? Your gambols, your songs, your flashes of merriment that were wont to set the table on a roar. Not one now to mock your own grinning.
3: We well, we'll be talking earlier about um, detective work in Shakespeare, and I, uh, part of my detective work on Hamlet, certainly, was that, for me, I, I, I did it, and it seemed to work. I played to be and not to be, not as a soliloquy, but as a speech to Ophelia
1: to be or not to be that is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them
3: um i've played it with four different ophelias each one said how much that helped her performance because she is the one that does the things that he talks about she goes mad she commits suicide Um, and he talks about it but uh, could he have planted it in her head for in that sleep of death what dreams
1: may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressors wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love. The laws delay the insolence of office and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietus make with a
2: pair of And we're, we're, what does it mean that you were speaking directly to her? She was there and you, you turned your body towards her? Oh, no, I spoke, I looked in her
3: or, eyes. I spoke it to her for, for her benefit. You have to presuppose that they are intimate. They are a, a couple. They are a pair. He has been wooing her, um, all the presents.
2: Right, and in the scene before that, Claudius says that that uh, Afrontophilia Ophelia. Yeah, that he, to, to that
3: we, yeah. Uh, we have closely sent for Hamlet hither, that he, as twere by accident, may hear affrontophilia. He's been sent for. He's not wandering around, um, thinking these thoughts in, in a vacuum. He's on his way. To a place. Who would these fardels bear
1: to grunt and sweat under a weary life but that the dread of something after death,
3: the undiscovered country. We've also been told that um, in uh, lately when, whenever there was a chance of them meeting, she runs away. No, she's there. There's no indication that she's going to run away. She can't. Uh, her father and Claudius have put her there for a specific purpose, and she knows they are listening. She, they've got to hear um, her conversation with him. So, immediately, something is wrong. But, from Hamlet's point of view, this is a chance to speak to somebody of whom he is very fond. I loved Ophelia. 40,000 brothers, with all their quantity of love, could not make up my sum, he says in the grave scene later. And this is a wonderful opportunity to say, this is where my head is. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking.
1: That's conscience that make cowards of us all and thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pitch and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action
3: soft you now the fair ophelia and then at the end, he says, Nymph in thy horizons, be all my sins remembered. She's, she's there with a the prayer book. And he said, well, remember me in your prayers. And then he goes to leave. She then says, how does your honour for this many a day? What? After what I just told you, how does your honour for this many a day? There's something fishy here. First she's there, she didn't run away. Now she's that's a non sequitur what she's saying. Oh, I've got We don't need Harris's twitched. We don't need any of that. He knows. She's she's a setup. She's a setup.
1: I am very proud. Revengeful. Ambitious with more offenses at my beck that I have thoughts to put them in imagination to give them shape or time to act them in what so fellows as I do crawling between earth and heaven we are our knaves or believe none of us Go by ways to a none of them <laughs> where's your father?
2: I don't know if this. Uh, I, I'm not, I, let me go out on a limb here. I was thinking as I was preparing this that your Hamlet and all of the thinking that you're you're explaining to us now was happening after you had had your your star turn on television as I Claudius in the uh, for the BBC. Um, and then uh, is that right?
3: Yes, it is actually. And then
2: you were right, and then you went. On to to do this Hamlet at age forty, and you were billed on the Marquee as Derek I Claudius <laughs> Jacoby in the role of Hamlet. <laughs> so I'm wondering, did what? I Claudius? influence your inter- interpretation uh, or your performance in any way. And I'm thinking that for that TV role, you had heaps of makeup on you for but, the old Claudius scenes, and it's almost as if you came to Hamlet and you were practically naked on the stage in comparison.
3: Yes, that, that, that's true. That's true. And I, I think um, it's an indication that um, actually my heart is in the theater. That's the medium that I love, and I've always felt... Um, most, most comfortable in. Um, and it's like it, that, that is my true element and, and has been for most, most of my career. Um, I like the fact that uh, as an actor on stage, the actor is in charge. He is making all those artistic and uh, um, creative decisions that are made for him when he's acting in front of a camera. On stage, you can see the actor head to foot all the time. He acts with his body and his and his mind and his soul and his spirit and his heart and his voice. Um, that is a skill. That is a craft. Both lovely words. Another word for it is trick. Uh, there's a degree <laughs> of trickery in acting. It's like John Gielgud, who said when he was doing um, uh, Lear um, eight times a week that half the uh, half the week he sent technique on. it's 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 a trick. It's a trick. Well, I, I'm not sure how I can explain it. But from the audience point of view, it's as, it's as, it's indistinguishable from the real thing, the real thing being when you are totally, totally immersed and in a state where spontaneity, can take place, and uh, spontaneity is a rare, rare thing um, in in stage acting, I think. You have to really have to have let yourself go, but at the same time be totally in control. But there's a little element of you that is free to fly, um, surrounded by this tight control, and and when that happens, uh, it's, it's wonderful. So, as far as job satisfaction goes, uh, give me the theater every time.
2: Well, it has just been marvelous talking
0: with you. Thank
2: you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: My great pleasure. Thank you. Derek Jacoby first performed the role of Hamlet publicly in 1957, and over the next 60 years has played it nearly 400 times. He was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. This is the first of a two-part interview with Jacobi. In part two, he talks about his career more broadly, including sharing the stage with Laurence Olivier, performing King Lear in 2010, and a struggle with paralyzing stage fright that drove him away from the theater for two years in the 1980s. Do Not Saw the Air With Your Hands Thus was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor and Esther Farrington. Esther French is the web producer. Special thanks to Janet Alexander Griffin, the Folgers director of public programs and artistic producer. We had production help from Michelle Morton at the Royal Shakespeare Company, James Ranahan and Paul Taylor from the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, Andrew Feliciano at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California, and Kathy Devlin at the Sound Company in London. We hope you're enjoying Shakespeare Unlimited. If you are, we hope you'll do us a favor please consider rating and reviewing the podcasts on whichever platform you use. When you do that, it helps us get the word out to people who haven't heard it yet. Thank you. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge and the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.